It's time for a sign post, and we're joined by the host of Radio National's Religion and Ethics Report, Andrew West. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Always a pleasure, Noel. Andrew, let's begin with last week. Contraception turned up. Mm. Noel, this is a fascinating new development in the debate about contraception and the Catholic Church. Uh, First of all, about 150 very eminent Catholic theologians and uh, Catholic intellectuals, including one bishop, and he's an Australian, Bishop Geoffrey Robinson, have signed a statement that was drafted by the Weingards Institute. Now, mm-hmm. that's a liberal Catholic think tank, the Weingards mm-hmm. Institute for Catholic Research in Europe. They've promoted the ordination of women and things like that. They've among promoted other the ordination of women. Now they're arguing that the the Vatican's total ban on contraception needs to be lifted. They're saying that essentially humani vitae, uh, of human life. Um, that's the document. That's human the document, OVT. yes. Uh, 1968 was mistaken in banning all forms of artificial contraception. They cite the Bible to argue that the Bible and various other Christian teachings exalt sex as a form of love between a man and a woman, between a married couple. They're orthodox in that sense, but they're saying sexual intercourse is not purely for procreative purposes. It shouldn't always lead to pregnancy, that there needs to be, uh, for both practical reasons and also for the broader sense of inclusion in the Catholic community, a lift of this ban on artificial contraception. They point out that the most recent figure from the Pew Foundation said that 66% of Catholic couples in the United States do not consider the use of artificial contraception reception a mm. sin. So one assumes there's probably another 20% who do think it's a bit sinful, but we're going to use it anyway. So it's broadly ignored. This is an, essentially an argument, uh, particularly from one of the most uh, heavyweight of these uh, Catholic intellectuals, Professor Tina Beatty, that if the doctrine is so routinely ignored, then the church really has to re-examine it. But very interestingly, Noel, the latest statement uh, from the Vineguards Institute refers to a document that many of us did not know about. Back in 2006, the Pontifical Council for the Pastoral Assistance to Healthcare Workers recommended that barrier methods of contraception be considered morally legitimate for prophylactic purposes. So that is for the prevention of pregnancy. So they're talking there, one assumes about condoms and interuterine devices. They are now appealing for this unpublished 2006 Vatican document to be released so that it can be fully debated. Well, that sounds like (laughs) intrigue. It, It is indeed intrigue, but it's added weight to this idea that you don't have to go back to the papal commission in the late 1960s mm-hmm. uh, that actually did recommend the approval of artificial contraception. You don't have to go back that far. You only go back 10 years to mm. find that yet another pontifical commission did in fact say that some forms of artificial contraception ought to be considered. At least two popes, as you know, have raised this prospect of ever so slightly loosening Uh, Mm. the rules around contraception. I mean, Benedict himself made some comments that the use of condoms were permissible as the lesser sin, the lesser evil to prevent the transmission of AIDS. Mm. Uh, Pope Francis has said things like, well, Catholics shouldn't think that they have to breed like rabbits. And of course, that does itself leave open the idea that, well, what is you know the corrective to that? It is the, the use of some form of artificial contraception. That's fascinating. But China now, 
That's another thing you've been covering, China and the Pope. Pope Francis is expressing interest. The official number of Chinese Catholics is 5.3 million. That's what the official figure mm. is, but it's much bigger probably. Yes, it's probably the, the Vatican estimates there are probably 15 million Catholics in China. There's probably 100 million Christians, which is one mm. figure that we've heard. Another figure is 200 million Christians. Mm. It's impossible to actually ascertain an absolutely accurate figure. Well, they're not counting them, are they? Really? Well, they don't count them. Uh, but the Pope wants almost a rapprochement with China. The Vatican has not had relations with China in 68 years officially. The Vatican still recognises Taiwan as the official Chinese uh, government. Well, that's uh, loyal. Rulers of China. <laughs> that's, but now the Vatican says, look, uh, you know, there's a vast population here of a billion people. We need to engage with China. But there's another reason, too, that Pope Francis is keen to engage, and that is he wants to lift the official regulation of Christianity and Catholicism in particular that exists in China, because there may well be 15 million Catholics there. And the Catholic Church is permitted in a very circumscribed way to operate in China. The problem for the Vatican is that the Chinese government effectively appoints its own Catholic bishops. Yeah. And then afterwards, they look for some form of quasi-approval from the Vatican. approval through the back channels, as it were. Yes, and the Vatican sees relations with China as also an opening to parts of the developed world as well, Mm. because China is a great economic sponsor of the developing world in places like Africa in particular. Tanzania, for example, big roads going in there. That's right. And the Vatican also sees relations with China as a route to improving relations uh, with parts of the developing world that are almost client states of China. So, you know, this is an interesting development. It's not, however, met entirely with the approval of the Catholic community. In fact, the retired Cardinal of Hong Kong, that's uh, Cardinal... Cardinal Zen, I think. Yes, that's right. He has said the Chinese government will take much more out of this deal than it will ever give. Well, that's interesting because Hong Kong has been relatively free. Macau was effectively sort of free of the control that China normally exerts on religion. So they've now rejoined China, of course, and so they've got this distinction between Catholics who are free compared to those on the mainland who are not as free. Yeah, well, and the Catholics on the mainland are part of the you know Catholic patriotic associations mm. by the Chinese government. The other interesting point that the retired Cardinal of Hong Kong makes is that the Vatican is doing this outreach to China at the very time that the Chinese government is bulldozing churches, particularly I think it's in Wenzhou province, yes. which is you know termed the Jerusalem of the East. It was a place where Christian churches flourished. Well, churches are being demolished there because the uh, Beijing government has the fear that the uh, observance of the Catholic faith could lead to an alternative power centre. So there are real concerns in the Catholic community about how much the Pope wants to concede on this matter. From the Chinese government's perspective, they see having maybe official diplomatic relations with the, the Vatican as a major coup for this reason, that of all the countries that recognise Taiwan, its great rival, as the official government of China, the Vatican is the biggest fish of all. <laughs> and if they can prize the Vatican away from its recognition of China, then that deals a further death blow to the status of Taiwan. Now, Taiwan is actually developing as a quite a strong democracy, but it has 
very little support among the member nations of the United Nations. Mm. And if China can prize the Vatican from Taiwan, that is, you know, a major it, diplomatic It's coup. worth giving some freedom to the Catholic Church yeah, it's in worth, China. It, it may be worth giving freedom, uh, some freedom to the Catholic Church in China, indeed. There, there is one other thing I just wonder, before we do finish on that, uh, is the underground church versus the official church, because that's a complexity as well in mm. China, isn't it? And you do mention that in the program. Yes, there's a large underground church. This is where I say that the numbers of Christians in China could be as large as 200 million. It is believed that there is a cardinal in China, but he is entirely anonymous. There is. He's called in pectore. They just don't reveal the name because yes. they get arrested. <laughs> and he hasn't been able to participate, obviously, in papal conclaves mm. and probably even travel to the Vatican incognito. Mm. Uh, whether that is part of the official deal, that this uh, cardinal can be uh, you know, made reveal public himself and reveal himself would be, you know, a very interesting development. You noticed a story on Myrie Collins, who's on the uh, Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, and it's actually a sign of hope. Yeah, Myrie Collins is a victim of clerical sex abuse. She speaks with enormous authority. As an Irish woman who has been a victim of clerical sex abuse as a young woman, she, for a long time, having been appointed to this Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, has been pessimistic, mm. not utterly bleak like, uh, Peter, like, Saunders like Peter Saunders was. Mm. She has said, just in the past couple of days, that she sees great progress being made by this uh, Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors. She speaks particularly about the Pope's decision to issue a decree that would remove negligent bishops, not simply offending bishops, and he has removed an archbishop just recently mm. who's been accused, not proven, but accused of being a predator this himself. This is Guam. This is the, the Archbishop mm. of Guam. But this decree is not simply to remove bishops who may have been offenders, but to remove bishops who have been negligent. You know, a new form of discipline in the Catholic Church, a new imperative, if you like, in the Catholic Church of recognising that negligent oversight of abusing priests can be just as damaging as the act of abuse itself. And she says, we've made some very good progress there. It's good news then from Murray Collins and the Pontifical Commission, in mm. other words. Yeah. Now, yeah. something else you've been following on the Religion and Ethics Report, the honeymoon is over between Donald Trump and the Christian right. Parts of the Christian right. Very good point that you make there. It is still likely that 80% of evangelicals, white evangelicals largely clustered in the South and the Southwest and parts of the Midwest, will support Donald Trump. But what Donald Trump's candidacy has done is shatter a three to four decade old alliance between evangelical conservatives and Catholic conservatives. Mm. For a long time, sectarianism was a very serious fracture among Christians in, the, in uh, the United States. Like here. But, yes, but about 40 years ago, particularly after the Roe versus Wade uh, decision, High Supreme Court decision on abortion, there was a coming together of conservative Catholics and conservative evangelicals, principally based around that question of you know, the pro-life issue. And that endured all through Reagan, right. all through George Bush uh, Sr., all through the Clinton years, 
right up now until uh, the Obama years, mm. but it's Donald Trump's positions on immigration that is offending even the most conservative Catholics. And wow. why? Because a growing, the fastest growing part of the Catholic population in the United States is Hispanic. It is sort of surprising to look from Australia to that and to realise that the Catholic Church in America that, you know, in my head is sort of Irish, mm. it's actually increasingly, and it's almost, I think, I don't know whether they've passed the halfway point, but I think they actually have, it's actually mainly Spanish-speaking or Spanish background. Yes, just as in Australia, the Catholic Church is being kept alive. In fact, it's growing numerically, if not as a percentage, because of its Vietnamese and Indian and Filipino Catholics in the United and Lebanese States. Catholics. And Lebanese Catholics. Yeah. And Lebanese Catholics and Eastern Rite Catholics uh, in the United States. Even conservative Catholics are offended by Donald Trump's attacks on Mexicans because they look at many Mexican immigrants and they say uh, where he sees them as rapists and murderers and, and various other sort of incendiary things he's called them, they see a potentially socially conservative, economically of the left, but socially conservative population mm. that is filling Catholic churches. Right. And they look at Donald Trump and they say, you are insulting a core group in our community. It's at least fracturing an alliance, as I said, that's lasted 30 to 40 years. Now, you'd also been following Utah, though, and the Latter-day Saint Church, where a similar sort of thing was happening, wasn't it? Yes, if for nothing else, Donald Trump's... Uh, I was going to say brusque, but that's uh, putting it mildly. Donald Trump's sheer rudeness offends Mormons. I mean, whether people agree with Mormon theology or not, they'll agree with this. You've never met a more polite person no. than a Mormon. Strong families, <laughs> polite people. Strong yeah. families, polite people. Uh, and who do you see in Donald Trump? A, a thrice-divorced man who's boasted about his extramarital affairs, who described his battle with venereal disease as his own personal Vietnam, Good who Lord. insults people regularly. Good Lord. Well, you know, whether this will lead to the loss of Utah, the historic loss of Utah for the Republican Party, I doubt it. But it is another hurdle that Donald Trump has to uh, overcome uh, among religious voters. Andrew West, host of RN's Religion and Ethics Reports. Always good to have you on the program. Always great to be on the program. Thanks, Noel. This has been a podcast of Sunday Nights on ABC Local Radio. Thank you for listening. 